Today we're here though to talk about healthcare, healthcare in Mississippi. Now I won't be um, surprising any of you if I say that the issue of Medicaid expansion is very much back on the political agenda. If you pick up a newspaper or follow what's being discussed in the legislature this session, or if you follow, as we all do, the ups and downs in the um, various statewide um, political contests that are happening this year. You'll see that the question of whether or not Mississippi should expand Medicaid is very much a hot political topic, and it's going to get hotter. Again, my name's uh, Lee Gross. I'm a family physician currently practicing medicine in Southwest Florida. Uh, if you're not familiar with Southwest Florida, that's the area between Sarasota and Fort Myers. Uh, in fact, the area that just took a direct hit from Category 4, Category 5, Hurricane Ian. Uh, so, uh, originally from the Cleveland, Ohio area, uh, did my undergraduate at Ohio State University, spent three years doing clinical research for the Cleveland Clinic Foundation's cardiology program, getting uh, experimental uh, uh, devices and drugs uh, approved for the cardiac program there. Went on to Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, uh, stuck around, did my residency in family medicine at University Hospitals in Cleveland, uh, and in 2002 moved down to Southwest Florida uh, to hang out my shingle and open up a family medicine clinic. Uh, one of the reasons that I chose to leave Cleveland is Cleveland's a very difficult place to practice medicine. <laughs> Dominated by two massive hospital institutions, the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals of Cleveland. Huge, huge, huge conglomerates, a block from each other, massive competition that basically were just competing to drive up the cost of healthcare. Uh, and at the same time, they're also driving down physician wages uh, and, and, and gobbling up primary care practices all across the region and sort of this, this mission creeped across all of the uh, suburban areas and, and urban areas of, of Cleveland. A horrible place to, to practice medicine if you actually want to have the patient be the primary focus because it really was focused on uh, drumming up as much revenue for these massive institutions as possible. So what I did was I moved down to, to Southwest Florida, a state that had no income tax and offered triple the uh, amount that, that was offered up in Cleveland. Uh, and I worked very hard to get into medical school. Actually, it took me three years to get into medical school, which is why I did that research at, at Cleveland Clinic. Uh, so going into medical school and getting into school was actually something that was very important to me uh, because you know, I saw that was such an important part to be able to have that patient relationship. Uh, and when I got out and got into practice, I very quickly realized that everything that I had studied to be and everything I fought for and everything I worked for was very drastically and rapidly being eroded. Uh, all the patient decisions were being made by the insurance companies and by the payers. Uh, the government was getting in the way and I felt like I was sort of playing this game of whack-a-mole with, with Medicare and the insurers. And as a private practice, every time I would find a way to generate some revenue for my practice, Medicare would make a regulatory change and make that no longer a viable source of revenue for my practice. So I would do stress tests in my office because, you know, as a, as a primary care physician, there's two ways you can diagnose heart disease, a heart attack or a stress test. So we chose stress tests, but <laughs> Medicare did not want to pay for stress tests by a primary care doctor, so they made it illegal for primary care doctors to do stress tests. Uh, so we were also doing ultrasound technology in, in our office, studying carotids, uh, screening for aortic aneurysms, and, and we were leasing that space out to an ultrasound technician that would come in uh, and Medicare made those leasing arrangements uh, illegal, so that other sorts of revenue came. And it got to the point where, where we were running out of ways to generate revenue to keep the practice afloat. We adopted medical records that were wonderfully compliant, that, or, I'm sorry, they were wonderful for our practice. 
We were early adopters of electronic medical records because it made sense for our workflow. It made sense for us to, to do the patient care and, and perform the functions we wanted in our office. But then the regulatory environment got in. Now you had to have a certified record because Medicare is now basing their payments on whether or not you use this technology. And all of a sudden, now the technology that I was using and adopting because it made sense to me was no longer a certified electronic record. Uh, it just did what I needed it to do. So I had to then go purchase an additional record system for about $32,000, uh, which did not do any of the stuff I wanted to do, but it was compliant and kept me from getting penalties from, from Medicare. So now I had the compliance system to stop getting Medicare penalties, but then I had to run a parallel system that actually did the work I needed it to do that wasn't compliant. Uh, so this is the practice environment that I was living in uh, in early 2000s and on this treadmill and just getting beat up, worn out, uh, and every, every year we were getting less revenue. Uh, as an employer, I was providing health insurance to my employees and the, the, the premiums for my employees' health insurance kept going up. And I got a notice of increase for my premiums for my employees on the same day I got notice from the same exact insurer that they were going to pay me 20% less. Uh, so that was sort of that eye-opening moment for me for you know, why are we doing this? What is going on? So the name of my practice right now is called Epiphany Health. Um, now this is not a, a, a religious organization, but in fact we had an epiphany. Uh, and the epiphany came one day when we had a small business owner that came up to us and said, explain the same exact thing. I'm paying more insurance for my employees. I can't afford to keep it up anymore. All my employees see you as their primary care doctor why don't I just hire you to take care of my employees, skip, skip uh, the, the middlemen, and then we can go ahead and take out a major medical catastrophic insurance for them if they, God forbid, have cancer or a heart attack or a stroke. And so our epiphany moment was, why are we insuring primary care? Why are we inserting so many obstacles, so many barriers, so many regulatory, filing a claim, filing codes, waiting six months to get paid for every single interaction in the, in the American healthcare system? Why? And then we complain that it's expensive, impersonal, and cumbersome to navigate. Oh, the doctor submitted the wrong code, therefore I got to move. No, the doctor submitted the right code, your insurance sucks. Um, and so we had a, a, an epiphany that let's take, what happens if we take primary care out of the insurance system? So we're going to sell something, in a, we're going to sell healthcare, we're going to put it all in a box and we're going to sell it for one price, and we're going to call that box health insurance coverage. And within that box, we're going to put your affordable primary care services because we're cheap. We're just selling brain time, right? We've got a little three-cent ear speculum. I look in your ears, the little thing I stick in your throat, right? Uh, cheap. We're going to put that in with dialysis. We're going to put it in with a, a three-month hospital stay. We're going to put it in with a bypass surgery, cancer treatment, uh, skilled nursing facilities, home health services. When you bundle them all together into one box and call it health insurance, that artificially drives up the access point to the care that most people need because they're bundled together. When you split off, split it all off, the cost of the primary care actually comes crashing way down and all of a sudden most of those services that people need, they can actually now afford because they're broken free from the big expensive stuff. So insurance makes simple things complicated. So this is a, this is a toothbrushing machine. <laughs> But what we do is we strip all that noise away. So when you go into a, what we now call a direct primary care, we've created a subscription-based primary care service is what we ended up doing, uh, which is again now known nationally as direct primary care. 
So we charge a flat monthly fee like Netflix for all the services we provide. Right now for me that price is $80 a month for an adult, $30 a month for one child, and $15 a month for each additional child. Uh, and for that, everything that we can do in our office is included. That includes unlimited office visits, unlimited technology visits, unlimited in-office procedures, unlimited in-office testing, no insurance, no coding, no co-pays, no deductibles. Uh, absolutely everything is 100% included in that flat monthly membership fee. So it strips out all the noise. It strips out, well, did you really come here for a physical or did you come here because your knee's bothering you? Because if you go to your, your doctor's office, schedule for your physical, which has to be free with your insurance, if you say, oh, by the way, doc, while I'm here, my knee hurts, your doc is not only going to submit a bill to the insurance company for the physical, they got to submit a bill for the knee pain. The physical's free, but you're going to get a $200 bill for the knee pain uh, because that goes towards your deductibles and office visits. And again, you got to play the coding game. All that noise is stripped away in the direct primary care. I don't care what you came for. You're going to you're going to get what you need, not what the insurance company says that you can have. And we're not then going to get into this tit for tat of, well, your your office coded it wrong. We have this sort of hostile relationship between the doctor and patient because of how the doctor coded a, a particular visit. Uh, <clears throat> so again, what we did was we created a subscription model, and something interesting happened when we flipped the switch and turned this thing on in 2010 is we suddenly saw uninsured patients coming to our practice from all across the state of Florida. We had a problem. Um, we had a massive number of uninsured patients and all we did was solve the primary care issue so we could do all that. But now these uninsured people need affordable access to labs, they need x-ray services, I need to be able to get MRIs, I need to send them for physical therapy, they might need a stress test. What am I supposed to do with all of this still routine stuff but that I can't do within my office. And so I reached out to the local laboratory service provider. And I said, you know what? If I were to go ahead and when I give a patient an order for blood work, if I collected that money up front when I gave them the order, and you just sent me one bill at the end of the month for all my patients that I sent for lab work, uh, and you didn't have to fight with their insurance company, try to collect it, worry about how it was coded, wait six months to get paid, what could you sell me those laboratory services for? And the answer from the lab was, well, the most expensive thing that we do here in the lab is hire human labor to interact with your insurance company. So if we strip out all that, we can save about 95% off the cost of the lab. So they reduced the cost about 95%. Sold us the lab for the wholesale. So we did the same thing to our imaging centers. We have, fortunately, we do not have a certificate of need uh, law on the books for, for imaging centers. Uh, and I have nine different imaging, independent imaging centers I can work with. And so I went to them and said, you happen to have an MRI machine, it looks like it, it's paid for, uh, and it's staffed. So if you have an open slot in your MRI machine, and I were sending you a cash-paying consumer that was willing to buy that at the time of service, uh, and again, you didn't have to fight for approval, you didn't have to wait for, for authorizations, you didn't have to wait or six months later, get it clawed back into denial after the fact. What could you sell us that for? We were seeing CAT scans for $175, MRIs for $225, chest x-rays for $25. I'm going to tell you that 12 years later, we are still paying $25 for a chest x-ray, $250 for an MRI, $175 for a CAT scan. We have seen near zero inflation in the actual purchase of the actual services. Coverage has gotten very expensive, which we're going to talk about. So we created essentially a network of cash-based services around our office. We created a network of cash accepting physical therapy groups. We've reached out to our specialists who have given us uh, cash prices on 
on uh, stress tests, on echocardiograms, and so forth. So, um, and we're going to talk about what that is. So I already talked about the, the price. So again, we can do as low as $15 a month for a child. And when I say a child, that's up to their 26th birthday. So that can be a child off in college somewhere. Uh, and you're still getting care for $15 a month. So this is what our cost of our membership has been over the 12 years that we've been doing this. And you can see we're actually charging about the same today as we were a decade ago. So again, we talked about the skyrocketing cost of healthcare. The skyrocketing cost of coverage is real. Uh, the skyrocketing cost of care, yes, the cost of care is going up, especially in the last year. Uh, but, but we have not actually significantly increased our prices. And today, the people that signed up for our membership 12 years ago are paying the same exact price as they did today as they did when they signed up at, over a decade ago. So the kind of things that we do, we do, we do cortisone injections, we do skin biopsies, we drain abscesses, we can uh, sew, up, uh, sew up lacerations, uh, I can do halter monitors, we can do all sorts of stuff in the office, again, all at no additional, at no additional charge. The kinds of the prices that we can arrange for things like a nuclear stress test. A typical charge for a stress test uh, right now is about $1,500 here in Florida. Uh, our actual cost is about $520. So we see you know, across the board here about 60 to 70, sometimes as high as 90%. Now that's discounted charge. Uh, I'm sorry. These are the prices that people would normally pay if they were trying to pay cash. Those aren't the actual charges. The charges would be much higher than this. Uh, but you can see, so I'm going to talk specifically here about this, this colonoscopy. And I'm going to talk in depth about the place where we do this, but our colonoscopy price is $1,400. That $1,400 includes the surgeon's fee, the anesthesiologist's fee, the hospital fee, and the, patho the pathology fee. So if you have insurance and you go in for a screening colonoscopy, <coughs> that screening colonoscopy has to be free if it's a compliant one. So it has to be free. You're paying $1,000 a month for it, but the colonoscopy is free every 10 years. If you have a history of polyps now, or if they find a polyp, that's no longer a screening colonoscopy, that's now a diagnostic colonoscopy, and that then uh, applies towards your deductible. So you're now paying co-payments, and, and, and again, if you have a high deductible plan, you're paying three dollars to $5,000 for, for a screening colonoscopy just because of your history of polyps. The procedure doesn't change based upon your, your history. The procedure is the same. Uh, so, but the way it's applied towards the, the patient is completely different. Uh, what we said is a colonoscopy is a colonoscopy. It doesn't matter why we're doing it. It's the same test. And what we've also said is that we're gonna, we need to bundle in the cost of that pathology because that's always a surprise bill that comes in after the fact. Your screening colonoscopy is free, but your $3,000 pathology bill that comes in the mail afterwards because they took off some polyps is not free. Uh, so we talk about, you know, in, in Washington, a lot about surprise medical bills. These are surprise medical bills that we eliminate through cash-based transactions uh, bundle pricing and upfront transparency and what it is you're actually getting for your, for your money. So let's see what this now looks like then for a real patient. Uh, so this is an actual hospital bill of a patient of mine that went to the emergency room for abdominal pain. Uh, and the numbers here don't matter. I just show this picture to show you that this is an actual physical bill. Uh, but because the way my practice is, is working, uh, I'm not constantly doing bureaucratic stuff uh, I'm doing all clinical stuff, so I have a lot longer time with my patients, and I have a lot more availability to my patients. I'm not seeing 60 patients a day in my office. I'm seeing 16 patients a day in my office, and many of those are telemedicine visits. Uh, but I have the ability to get patients in now within hours instead of weeks uh, to, to my office. So if somebody calls up with an acute problem, 
If they call in the morning, they're usually seen in the morning. If they call in the afternoon, they're seen in the afternoon. So I have the ability to do urgent things real time within my office, the way it's structured. I also have the ability to order stat CAT scans and stat blood work. Uh, so oftentimes, you know, when you go to the hospital for abdominal pain, you may sit there for seven hours in the emergency room. Uh, so while it may be emergency care, it's not always fast care. So we can do some urgent care type arrangements here. So if this patient, instead of going to the hospital for emergency room or for their abdominal pain, came to our office, that lab or that hospital bill for the emergency room for that patient, they had some blood work, they had uh, uh, urine samples, they had chest x-rays, they had a CAT scan and they saw the doctor. And that bill came to $20,000. Any guesses of what those services right there would actual cost the patient if they came into our office physically and had the same exact services done in our practice. Just throw out a number. What they actually cost. Two thousand. Two thousand dollars. Eight hundred bucks. Three hundred and one dollars and twenty-nine cents. <laughs> so I'm not a hospital. I don't have to run a twenty-four hour emergency room. I don't have to staff an ICU that may be sitting half fours or empty. I understand I don't have those costs, but what could it cost? It could cost that, because it does cost that for our patients. These that, are fake. That's your patient's charge. That's what it costs the patient that's a member of our practice. Yeah, that's what they pay. Yep. So if you are self-insured, let's say you're a self-insured business, um, or you're an uninsured person, and you need a knee replacement surgery here in the United States, most hospitals will charge anywhere from $100,000 to $150,000 for a knee replacement surgery. If you're a really good negotiator, you might get that down forty-five dollars to $70,000. Uh, obviously, if you have the if you're backing of like a commercial insurance carrier, you can get those numbers down pretty pretty low. Uh, but so forty-five dollars to $70,000 for a lot of self-insured plans to get a knee replacement done in the U.S. You can fly to Singapore and have it done for $18,000 to $22,000. Or there's this little rural hospital in South or in Central Florida called DeSoto Memorial Hospital. It's a 49-bed hospital. We'll talk about it later. Uh, their cash price on a knee replacement is $18,550. So you can fly to Singapore, or you can get it done in your local rural hospital. This is not brain surgery. This is knee surgery. Uh, this can be done very effectively in many rural hospitals. Uh, so what this facility does is they create cash uh, transparent priced uh, procedures. Routine stuff that can easily be done at the same Knee replacements, hip replacements, colonoscopies, gallbladder surgeries. Uh, but yeah, we're not doing bypass surgery here, we're not doing spine surgery here. Uh, but routine stuff, you absolutely you can do a, uh, a lot of minor kidney stuff here. So coming back to the cost of coverage now, uh, you can see here in, from 2001 until 2018, uh, the cost of coverage continues to rise. This is for employer-sponsored coverage. This black part here is what the employer pays. The red part is what the employee premiums are. Out of, and then the blue part is the employee out-of-pocket. And you can see every single one of those. This cost is increasing on every single one. So not, it's not just the employer funding it. It's not just the employee seeing the prices going up and they're out-of-pocket. All of them are going up. And so now for a family of four in the United States, the total cost of a PPO plan uh, according to the Millman Medical Index, is now $30,260 uh, a year, uh, with $12,683 coming out of pocket from the employee. That's a lot of money. So 
So let's just say for argument's sake that we're going to go ahead and do this crazy direct primary care thing and we'll bundle, bundle it with something that will cover the what ifs, the major medical stuff. In this case, I chose uh, a health sharing ministry. Anybody here show of hands here of health sharing ministries, Christian HealthShare, Sidera, MediShare, Samaritan, uh, there's a whole host of them. They've been going around since the 1980s and probably even before that. Uh, so they cover a lot of the, the what ifs. Um, and so this black line here is the cost of the direct primary care membership plus the, the price of the health share ministry. And the health, this particular health share has a $5,000 limit that the, the, in, oh, sorry, the family has to come out of pocket before the sharing ministry starts to, to share in any of these expenses. So $5,000 per year is the family max out of pocket. Um, so the total cost of the two of them combined is about $90,000. Well, so I showed you that the, the family of four PPO is thirty-some thousand dollars a year. So assuming that none of these things changed in price, I've proven that I won't change my price in 10 years. I can't say the same for the coverage, but let's just assume for the sake of argument, the coverage didn't change. The cost of the PPO out of pocket for 10 years is going to be about $300,000. The difference between the coverage and the care is about $212,000, almost $213,000. That's the difference in cost between what the coverage is and what the actual care costs. Mm -hmm. So this hospital was already self-insured. The hospital was, it was its own insurance company, uh, and they were working with what we call a, a, a BUCA insurance company for their, their processing of their claims. So that's Blue Cross United Cigna Aetna Humana, the big, the big ones. Uh, and so the hospital was assuming the financial risk of all the, the things that happened with their employee health plan. Uh, so if, the, if something major happened, the hospital was funding it, but the insurance company was getting paid like 40% for processing all the claims. You, so you rent their name, you rent their network, you put their name on the card, but the employer is still the insurance company. So they were self-funded with Abuka uh, to process the claims. So we came in and we completely restructured uh, their employee health plan. So this person here that's standing up on a similar projector uh, is Carl Schusler. Carl Schusler is an independent health plan designer uh, that I that is in Atlanta, Georgia, and we brought him down to DeSoto Memorial Hospital, and we created a program. So the way the hospital restructured their health plan is they said, if any of our employees signs up for a direct primary care membership, we will pay for it for them 100%, and all of their family. And, in, and we're trying to make, encourage them to make good choices. So if they choose to sign up for the direct primary care, we're going to reduce their insurance premiums by 20%. Give them incentives to make the choices that we want them to make. They can choose any other doctor they want. They can choose any primary. They can stay with their primary care doctor. But if they chose the direct primary care, we're going to give them a 20% reduction in their premiums. Uh, and to sweeten the pot for us, for us, because now we're working with an insurance company, they've said that Anything that this direct primary care, anything Dr. Gross orders, if it's done at the hospital, is free to the employee. No co-pays, no deductibles, everything is all waived. It's 100% free for the employee. They also sweetened it because they said, Dr. Gross, any referrals coming out of you, no authorizations required. You, it's, we trust you. It's automatically referred. So they have <coughs> eliminated all the layers of people that, with less training than us that are responsible for telling us how we can can or should do our jobs. They stripped out all the bureaucracy from us and they said, we, we trust our, the, the, the highest trained person in the chain of command here, uh, so let's do it. And our drug formulary that we're going to approve is whatever you say the patient needs. Woohoo! <laughs> right. Um, so what they charge for that is $40 per pay period 
for an individual, it's $80 a month. That's what they charge the employee. That includes the direct primary care. So now what you have is a program that has no co-pays for primary care, no barriers to access, no deductibles for surgeries, blood work, CAT scans, MRIs. Um, and they say, well, wait a second. How can you possibly save money if you have unlimited, you know, a run on the bank to get these services done? You know, it turns out people aren't standing in line to have unnecessary tests and procedures <laughs> done to themselves. Um, it's just there's not a big desire to have unnecessary gallbladder surgery, it turns out. Um, I will also tell you that price in 2000, that was January of 2019 we launched this. That price hasn't changed one penny in four years. That's exactly what it costs the employees to get health care, health insurance through that program. All right, don't get scared about these, they, these numbers here, but what I'm going to show you here is that the total amount paid for by the plan is 38% cheaper when they choose a direct primary care. So when we eliminate the obstacles, when we eliminate copays, say, go see your doctor, have unlimited telemedicine, uh, unlimited, unlimited access, unlimited phone visits, it gets almost 40% cheaper for the plan. What would it offer the patient? You know, did you stack more copays and deductibles and, and all that? No, we eliminated them. 31% less out-of-pocket spend by the employee when they sign up for this program. Uh, so I already talked briefly about how, because of the way our health plan, or I'm sorry, where our practice is structured, that we have the ability to lower emergency room visits. <coughs> we should be able to prove that, that our practice structure allows us to reduce it. Well, we reduced emergency room visits by almost 40%. This is a three-year average. This isn't just one shot. This is, this is over three years, 40% reduction. Um, I said we have more time to spend with our patients. So if I'm a busy doc on a treadmill and I'm trying to get as many fee-for-service patients through my office as, as fast as possible, uh, if you're in front of me and you have a, you're a complex diabetic patient, it takes me three minutes to write you a prescription that costs you $1,000, or 30 minutes to teach you how not to need that medication. So I'm going to spend the time and get you off your meds. Uh, I'm not going to just write more and more prescriptions. Uh, so in fact, uh, we actually have 30% less specialty referrals and less specialty money spent because we manage more in-house because we have the time. Uh, the reason that a lot of primary care doctors refer things out to specialists is not because they, they're not competent to handle this. They're trained in a huge scope of, of, of care uh, delivery options. They just don't have the time for it. But if you give them the time, free them up, eliminate their bureaucracy, let them focus on patient care, the specialty referrals go down, they practice the full scope of their training, and so we do re uh, show that we reduce specialty referrals. But then the question usually comes up, well, you're spending all this money now on the primary care. You know, you've already prepaid for the primary care in this direct primary care bundle, so therefore you're just shifting the cost and you're making the primary care more expensive. Well, as it turns out, fee-for-service primary care is very good at doing what it says. It charges a fee-for-service. And the role of fee-for-service, especially within the, these large conglomerates, is to generate as much revenue from a single patient encounter as possible. Every level three office visit needs to be coded to be a level four visit. Every level four visit should be able to extract from a level five visit. Uh, and you need to have a completely packed schedule. So as it turns out, uh, we were actually almost 20% cheaper than the fee-for-service primary care. So actually prepaying for the primary care in a bundle actually lowered the cost of primary care in this practice model. <coughs> People say, well, yeah, but the reason you were cheaper and you didn't do so many referrals is because you had a healthier patient population. Clearly, you were cherry-picking just the young and healthy people, and the sick people were all seeing the oncologists and specialists. Well, as it turns out, if you look at the, the blue bars here, the blue bars are what we actually saw in chronic disease within our practice population. 
and the green is what the national benchmark is for a similar healthy population or similar population. So we actually had 21% more chronic disease in the direct primary care group than the non than the non DPC. So we actually managed more complicated patients for less money. We managed diabetes for 82% less than the the, uh, the fee-for-service direct primary care practice. Uh, you know, I mentioned that, that when we have more time, we can spend more time on lifestyle counseling. We can spend more time on dietary counseling. We can spend more time on getting them off, off their medications. So if I can manage diabetes, which is one of the most prevalent conditions in the country for 72 cents per member per month, uh, that's, a pretty big, that's a pretty big impact on the health, uh, the health of that population. Uh, I'm going to point down here to infections. Uh, we were 86% lower on infections. Uh, this actually was also through the epidemic, so what better way to, to control some costs than to be 86% less expensive to manage chronic infections in a 100-year uh, high infection problem. So when we came into this, into this program here for DeSoto Memorial Hospital, most people were leaving the community for medical care. Most employees at the hospital were getting their care somewhere else. Don't go to that hospital. That's where grandma went to die. Don't send your people there. That's great. Why would you go there? That's, that place is horrible. Uh, and so if you looked, the money was being spent everywhere but the hospital. We were, the hospital was spending money at its competitors. So when we stepped in, we completely changed that again. We structured it to incentivize the employees to get their care done at the hospital. Uh, we create financial incentives uh, for them to get it done there by removing obstacles and removing barriers. And so when we were finished, 85% of the care uh, in the direct primary care group was getting their care done at the hospital itself. 14% was getting it outside. That means of that money that they, I saved them all that money, but of the money they spent, 85 cents of every dollar was spent from their right pocket to their left pocket, paid to themselves. The other side was about 50-50. Half the care was still leaving the community. So what it did was it changed the perception of this hospital within the community is, is from don't go there because that's where grandma died, is every medical care provider in the community goes there for their medical care. And oh, by the way, they set up a medical tourism program that people from out of the community are coming here to get their health care done. Why? Why is somebody driving from Miami, Florida, past some of the best health care in the world, and getting their care done at DeSoto Memorial Hospital in Arcadia, Florida? Because they provide great care at an affordable price. That's a destination. We've turned this little, little engine that could into a destination hospital. 